there's a lot to be said about that. So I'm going through a survey of Deuteronomy in this month of March. This, this uh, when, I, when I read through, I don't read with notes. I just read my text and then I try to write things down or get on my word process so don't forget them. And so these lessons simply are just uh, reflections from what I've been reading. And then God speaks to my heart about things and points things out to me, reminds me of things. I figure, well, that might be good too to remind people about some of these issues. So to review, there are key words in the book of Deuteronomy that I brought to you last week. Uh, words like land, uh, fear, teach, contend. Words like uh, remember. Uh, that comes up 14 times. Other words comes up much more. All of these are to tell the people, the young generation, not to forget. So tonight, another thing about the book of Deuteronomy, besides him telling them about the do's and don'ts, I think what he's trying to say, besides just repeating, he's talking about this. It's about relationship. Uh, all of these rules and court regulations and do's and don'ts, all of that is really based upon the fact that they have a special relationship with God. And so he's trying very hard, Moses is, uh, not to have the younger generation forget these things. And so he repeats the law to them as they're about to enter Canaan. And uh, remember, a good teacher, a good preacher, a good pastor, anyone who is an educator of some sort, uh, it's always good that they repeat things. Sometimes people who are in the pulpit or people who are speaking publicly, uh, to the same group all the time they say one thing last week and they never repeat it again because they think they all got it uh, truth is human nature is such that we all forget things and whatever the, the topic is whether it be something spiritual from church or it could be something secular uh, good teachers always repeat themselves because people forget we forget and people forget because uh, they just need reminders they need reminders because people are careless uh, they're disorganized, distracted by over-information, or because they are conscientious people, and they don't want to forget things. And so they need to hear things again and again and again. Not new things, but old things, because we want to remember and not forget doctor appointments. I'm glad that our doctors always call us the day before, or send some text messages say, uh, if you're going to make it or if you're not going to make it, let us know, press this or do something. Because it's a business, it's a, it's a work that they got to take care of. They have to have enough people around, all these different factors. But uh, it's good that we have reminders. I don't want to forget appointments. I'm glad I get appointment reminders. And sometimes doctors tell us, well, if you don't show up at your appointed time, there's a penalty of $75. Well, who's got $75 to throw away? Unless you like fireworks. <laughs> Up in smoke for real. So uh, it's good to be reminded of, of things because people are conscientious. Now, Israel needed a lot of reminding, didn't they? Israel needs a lot of reminding. And the book of Deuteronomy reminds them about some important truth from, from God himself. Uh, they were so quick to murmur. If you remember, the people of God, the Hebrews, they always wanted to complain and murmur against Moses and Aaron when things didn't go right. They were quick to panic and think very irrationally, very illogically. They began to accuse Aaron and Moses as being bad leaders. And Moses, you brought us out here to die. And God, you too. And so they were just irrational in their thinking. They're quick to forget the Lord. And so Moses is really strong about reminding the, the new generation before they go into the land that you gotta, you gotta think right. You gotta think right and not forget important things. Hence the need for them to get the law given to them again 
uh, as he did to their forefathers. And so people do forget. Now, it's more than academic, just giving out information about the law, because he's saying this is about relationship between God and them, between God and Israel. It's a relationship that they have. And so they are special people because of this relationship. Now, let's take a look in our survey of Deuteronomy, how special Israel was to God. Let's take a look at the special aspects of this relationship. Uh, chapter 4, verse number 7. Chapter 4, verse number 7. Verses 7 and 8. Now, I'm going to be jumping back and forth throughout the book, mostly chapter 4. And uh, there's no real sequence to it except I'm trying to go by God, uh, the relationship between Israel and God is special because, one, two, three, four. All right, verse number seven. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? Verse eight. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? And so they are privileged people, a special relationship. Uh, what nation has been so blessed and privileged like Israel? Think of all the nations, ancient and modern. What nation is so privileged like Israel is and was? Well, um, they're very special, privileged people. Look at verse number seven. God visited them. Verse number seven. God visited them. Who have God so nigh to them? The Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him. He, he visited them. He came down to Mount Sinai. Moses went up. You remember that story in Exodus. And he gave them the law. He visited them. What nation did God visit like that personally and give them something like the law? No other nation. Look at verse 23. 423. Take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image for the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. The covenant that God made with them. That's very special. Israel is a very blessed nation. It is a very privileged nation because of the special relationship with the Lord. And back to verse number eight. What nation is there so great that hath statutes? You are a great nation, Israel. A special relationship with God because he gave you something. Statutes, judgments, they're all righteous as in this law. No other nation has gotten that. Uh, well, there's a blessed people that have a special relationship with God. He wants them to remember that and never forget that. God chose them. The next thing is God chose them. Chapter 4 and verse number 20. God chose them. You've heard of chosen people, the chosen people. Okay, verse 20. But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace even out of Egypt. Isn't that interesting how this word is, this phrase is about their bondage in Egypt for one year? Iron furnace. It tells me that it wasn't a happy time, which is ironic because later on in the wilderness, they complain about, oh, 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 hot, dry, no, no nothing, no food, no water. I want to go back to Egypt. And even manna, all this, every, ah, this is so, this is so bland, so boring. We've, we've, we've made manna every, every week. You can fry, you can bake it, you can, you can, uh, whatever. We're tired of it. We want to go back to the onions and the garlic and all this kind of thing. And he says, this was an iron fresh you delivered from. Why are you complaining? That's how they got. And so, uh, 
Israel is very privileged. He chose them. Now, the funny thing I'm thinking of is he chose them even though he knew all about them and what they'd be like and how they would think down the road. And he still chose them. Well, that's, that's God. It's not what man would do. So he visited them and he chose them. Look at verse 37 of chapter 4. Because he loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought thee out in his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt. So all of that great power of God that he displayed in Egypt to deliver them out into uh, eventually the Canaan land, it was because he loved them. I don't know why God would love Israel like he does or did, but he does, and we should be glad he loves us as well. We're not the Jew, we're not Israel. We're Christians, and so he loves us maybe even more. I don't know, but I know he loved them, and he loves us as well, his people, the church. And so uh, he visited them, and he chose them. This is a great blessing to know that God, the God of heaven that made everything, uh, decided to choose us and decided to love us, decided to visit with us. Now, up in chapter 4 and verse number 7, it says this. I want to say this too. What nation is just so great who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him? For, now look at Psalm 46, verse number 1. Just take a look here. Psalm 46, 1. It's a familiar verse, I think, for most. Psalm 46, verse number 1. When you think about calling upon him, and Israel did many times, it's because of a verse like Psalm 46, number 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, you want to notice that when there's trouble, God's not in trouble. It is his people that got into trouble. And whenever they got into trouble, it's because they backslid and they, they didn't believe God and uh, they made God mad. But still, when they repented, God had mercy and he was a very present help in trouble for them. Look at verse number five. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. And that is the history of the Hebrew people. They disbelieve God. God gets angry at them. They put themselves in a position of chastisement. God chastises them. And then they cry uncle. They cry sorry. And God forgives them. And they start over again. And that's the cycle. But you notice that he is a very present help in trouble. Even though they deserve the trouble. They brought it upon themselves. And God relieved them of their burdens. You think about the book of Judges. And how they cried in little pockets of Israel. Uh, how they had trouble with the Philistines and so on. Their common enemy. And God always sent the deliverer. To deliver them for a period of time temporarily and so uh, he's a very present help in time of trouble which is a blessing for us to think about because where's the lord now or he's in heaven but where else is it the lord he's in us who else is in us the holy spirit and uh, can we not call upon him any time of the day sure any circumstance absolutely and so we have that great blessing that they even did not have all right so Israel's a privileged people. They have a special relationship with God. He visited them. He chose them. And then also in chapter 4, verse number 1, something else uh, made them a blessing or gave them a blessing or they are privileged because of this relationship with God. Verse number 1, 4, 1. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. 
Now, it's good to remember that when you see the word that the Lord gave them land, this was a key part in the history of the Hebrews in which they made God angry because even though they knew that God gave them the land, they still did some things to show God that they didn't believe him. They had a heart of unbelief. We'll get to that in just a minute. And then verse number two, ye shall not add unto the words which I command you, uh, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. So you want to remember here that in thinking about the Hebrew people, how they're so blessed and have a relationship with God, he gave them his words. He gave them his words. That is a real blessing beyond measure. He gave them his words. And so um, in verse number five, it says this, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, says Moses, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Now, he repeats the Mosaic law. Mosaic law is just identified that Moses went up to the mount to get the law. It's not ownership, but it is sort of in a way because he was the one who went up that God gave the law to, the Mosaic law. But Moses is not the author of the law. Remember, he's not the the one who wrote down the Ten Commandments plus the others, uh, he didn't do that, but he was credited with the Mosaic Law because he was the one who received it. It's not his words. He's just like the old school, the old time newspaper boy, which we don't have anymore, who yells out, extra, extra, read all about it, headlines. Truman says words or whatever, see? He's just repeating what someone has written, and that's Moses over here. Israel is privileged to have the Word of God given to them. Now come to Romans chapter 3. It's another New Testament commentary on that. Romans chapter 3. First one to find it, I will give you nothing. Romans chapter 3. Yeah. Samuel, would you read it to Joseph? Would you read it please out loud? Romans chapter 3 verse 1 and 2. What advantage then hath the Jew? For what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, because the unto them were committed the four folds of God. Uh, verse two is verse one and two is very very special, very important because it reflects on the relationship that God has with Israel. He gave them something called the oracles of God. He gave them the scriptures, and that's that stands out above every other nation in human history in which they're special because Israel's special because God gave them His words. Didn't give it to the Chinese or to anybody else. Although I would think the Chinese would get it most of all because we're special people. But no, no, no. He gave them to the Hebrew people, his people, and they have an advantage. The advantage would be like they have something special because they have insight into what God said. They know what God expects out of them. They know what God is like and so on because they have that spiritual revelation from God. They have been committed to oracles of God. That's a real blessing that they have from God. Back to chapter 4 of Deuteronomy. He gave them the words. But then he also gave them responsibilities about the word. This is the natural progression of having the word of God. It's not just having it as a possession. Oh, I have this family Bible on the coffee table that's never read. Well, that is not good to have a Bible, God's word, and not even read it. Some people, some people have a Bible. Mostly in the South, I think, they have a family Bible. It's a big book. It's, it's just big. And uh, it's a family Bible that you read before about the fireplace or before TV. And you could sit down together where people would gather, families would gather here. And dad would read a portion of scripture and then he would explain things and, you know, teach things. Family Bible, but now it seems like with the passing of time, people get more distracted from other things. 
uh, Bible time, family time is not very common anymore in homes. It's more about um, about entertainment and about other things that are interesting to people. And uh, our value system has really changed. But that family Bible used to be there as a as a prominent as a prominent piece in the home, and it's on the coffee table because that's where the families would gather together after dinner and have family time before they watch Ozzy and Harriet or something. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, no more. However, uh, the Word of God, given it to the Hebrew people, it also means obligation. It also means responsibilities toward the Word. So again, just having means nothing unless you do something with it. Now look at verse number 5 and 6. Uh, verse number 1, excuse me. Hebrew, Deuteronomy 4, verse number 1. Therefore, therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land i'll stop there you have hearkened to it you have hearkened to the word of god uh, look at verses five and six i have taught you statutes and judgments even as the lord my god commanded me that you should do so in the land whether you go to possess it verse six keep therefore and do them for this is your wisdom and your understanding i'll stop there so you have this word hearken it means to listen hearken to the word of god listen to it and then it says, uh, do them. I'll speak more about do them in just a second. But look at verse number two. Back to verse number two. As, it, as I said earlier, I'm going to jump around. Verse number two. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. Don't add unto the word. Don't add unto the law. Don't add unto the, law, the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. So don't add to the law. Don't take away from the law. You're talking about the law. Don't add, don't, don't, no plus and no, no math to it. Just leave it alone. Now, whenever the Hebrew people remember, whenever they got in trouble or got into a jam, here's what they did. They panicked. Because the Hebrew people are people of sight. Paul says we live by faith, not by sight, but they live by sight. Whenever they saw the giants, oh no. High wall cities, oh no. Fear rose up in their hearts. Whenever they had hardship, oh man, Moses, what kind of leader are you? If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here. And they lived by sight. And so they had the word of God, but then they didn't follow it for what it says. They didn't believe it for what it says. And you have these people who just added their own thoughts to it. They just added their own impressions to it. And their emotions dictated to them how they would live and think. And so... Moses was up the mountain too long, so they panicked, didn't they? And do you remember what they did when Moses was up the mountain too long? What did they get Aaron to do? They made a calf. What kind of a calf was it? A, a calf of lead? No, it was a calf of gold. And they began, they wanted a calf of gold. Funny, they chose a calf of gold to worship it, to be our God, they said. And uh, that's what happened when they they diminished from the word of God and they added to the thing and they fabricated things in their minds. Now it goes further than that for us because besides besides the the, the technicality, the context of not adding to the law, we have other scriptures in the in the Bible about not adding to the word of God as well, overall. And so look at Psalm 12. Um, we have in Proverbs chapter 30, but look at Psalm chapter 12. Here's something we need to think about and say also when we think about adding and diminishing from the word of God. Hebrew, uh, uh, Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. 
There's more to it than just adding to the law of God, the Mosaic law. Overall, the word of God, Genesis to Revelation, we don't add to it at all. We don't take away from it at all. Verse number six, Hebrews, I keep saying Hebrews. Let me get out of Hebrews. I'm in uh, chapter 12 of Psalms. Verse number six, the words of the Lord are pure words. Well, that will be applied to the Mosaic law that God gave to Moses as well, besides the entire body of scripture. As silver tread in front of earth, purified seven times. Verse seven, thou shalt keep them. O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, the NIV, of course, says that this is about the people of God, which is kind of a, a crazy interpretation of this because it's about the words of God. And he's saying God has obligated himself to keep the word of God. He inspired it. He preserved it. It's his business to keep it intact throughout all the generations for us to have in our time perfect without error. And we have it today, don't we? Of course, we do. I'm preaching to the crowd. And so, uh, obligations about the Bible don't diminish from it. Don't add to it. The law of Moses, leave it alone. The word of God, the entire book, Genesis Revelation, leave it alone. We don't, we don't change it. We don't add our own traditions to it. We don't add our own interpretations to it. Uh, sometimes we, we have to interpret the Bible in some way. And the rules for interpretation be line upon line, piece upon precept, here little, there little, and you get a correct interpretation. But sometimes people don't go through that process and they come up with an interpretation that's really cockeyed or really off the wall or really unbiblical. If they only take a verse and isolate that verse or uh, two verses or so, these grand near entire scriptures, then they come up with false doctrine. So don't add, don't subtract to it. Um, of course, modern translations have done that quite a bit, haven't they? Um, we're not unfamiliar with that, what's going on, but modern translations, they say all kinds of things because they've added to the scriptures, they've taken away from it, based upon the translating committee's interpretation of scriptures and their worldview about scriptures and so like that. And this is why you have so much confusion. In the prisons, of course, you have people that have all kinds of Bibles and uh, they, when I have them read out loud, I say, now, um, okay, anybody else got a King James Bible here, the Word of God? And then they read it and say, now that's what the Bible says. And then somebody reads a different translation. It's kind of like the, the slime of a purse laying uh, what egg of a what of a dinosaur or Tyrannosaurus Rex, and uh, all kind of things that doesn't doesn't it's just like where'd that come from? Well, we do know where it comes from. Those weird, unscriptural, added to the Bible, subtract my Bible things, and so he said, don't do that. Obligation to the Bible that God gave, don't do that. Don't change it. Don't add to it. Don't diminish from it. Take it for what it says. Don't let your emotions carry you away, Hebrews. Don't let what you see cause you so much to forget what God said and you add your own feelings to it. Well, God still protects us if I um, have strong faith or something like that. They added so many things to the Bible. And in the New Testament, the, the, the scribes and Pharisees added their own traditions which made the word of God of none effect. And so, so much of the brain and the heart uh, full of unbelief. As a matter of fact, come to Hebrews chapter 3. The account of Kadesh Barnea where the spies went out, remember that? To spout the land. Now God did say, okay, Moses, appoint 12 men, one from each tribe. He did say that, that it was because they had made up their mind to do that already. They already knew God was going to give them the land. He said so. Why they need spies to check out the land? If God said, I'm going to give you the land. Well, some would say it was a matter of prudence and responsibility, a military way of reconnaissance, the land and so on, see what's there. Okay, that'd be true for human military warfare. Because we're talking about human military 
artillery and armament and personnel and all that. But God said, I'm gonna give you the land. You didn't have to go out and spy out the land. What would that do? It made them fearful. God says, okay, here's what's gonna happen. Now in Hebrews chapter three and four, that event has been used as an example of unbelief, not of prudence or wisdom. Look at chapter three, verse number eight. Uh, verse number seven. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. Example, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said, they do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, chapter 4, verse number 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. He's talking about that evil generation. He's talking about them spies, those ten spies. And they disturbed the whole heart of the whole people by their evil report. They didn't have to do that. If they just believed what God said and not add to it, diminish from it, that generation would have gone in. But no, they had to think like a man, think in the flesh, and their heart was hardened, and they made God angry. And uh, the example there from the New Testament about this evil generation is so strong we don't add to his word. We don't take away from his word. We don't uh, do anything to his word. We just believe what he says. Can you imagine Joshua going around the walls of Jericho? This doesn't make any sense. He's a military man. What? No inventory of bazookas and 40 millimeter cannons or whatever, you know, and um, how, many, how many men do I need? No, nothing like that. Just march around and you know that story. And of course, the result was already not a question because God said this is what's going to happen. And so uh, they did something very unconventional because they believed what God said. Anytime the Hebrews believed what God said, he came through for them. Anytime they uh, tried to figure things out in their own mind, uh, it just went haywire. And so they are an example of unbelief and having a hard heart. And so we have an obligation to the Word of God. We are to read it we are to obey it we are to do them look at verse 5 four, chapter 4 of Deuteronomy and verse number 5 behold I have taught you statutes and judgments even if the Lord my God commanded me that you should do so in the land whither you go to possess it I'm giving you instructions Hebrews this is what God said for you to do in the land. Verse 6. Keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom. Now there is something interesting in verse number 6 and verse number 7. But uh, he does emphasize doing them. Uh, don't, don't tamper with the word of God, Israel. Live by it. Live by faith. Believe what it says. Now there is something good about uh, verse number six, because there's a reason why they are to do the word of God. Practice what the Bible says. Verse number six and seven. Keep therefore and do them. 
For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes. The nations are supposed to know about the word of God, the law of God, uh -huh, and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Well, what would make them wise and understanding? It wasn't because they're wise and understanding because they're born Hebrews. They're wise and understanding because of certain things. By the way, you know that the Hebrew people did some hygiene, uh, practices of hygiene and medicine that make them wise and special and understanding. Running water rather than just washing your hands uh, in a bowl of water. For many years, for many generations, you may know this, um, maybe not in connection to this, but as a nurse, you may know that um, uh, with the advent of more hygiene and the Civil War, and, uh, people dying because of infection, passing on germs from one soldier to the next soldier because they wash their hands in a bowl of water, running water. Well, that was already in the Bible. And so as soon as they caught up to that, oh man, the Bible's really special. And oh, Chris, oh yeah. And so it all comes out that God is exalted and the people of God, the Hebrews, and those who practice the Bible says, they're saying, boy, you got a special Bible there. You got a special God. Now watch this. They say, hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. There's something about them that is beyond beyond them just by being what they are. They have something special given to them by somebody. Look at verse number seven. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh to them as the Lord our God in all is in all things that we call upon him for? And so uh, the people of God, the Hebrews, they had some things about their practice, about their religion, about their um, lifestyle that was different from the heathen. And they were protected in many ways from diseases and other things. And then they, they of course, ask questions why. And it comes out that it's because of who your God is and because of what he gave to the statutes and commandments and so on. And so one reason why they have to have a responsibility to the word of God is because God wants to be glorified by them. And you remember that God wants to be glorified he wants to be on get the praise and the Bible says in Deuteronomy he is our praise and so when people the people of God obeyed him and he kept his commandments didn't alter it then he would get credit he would get glory for it and so be doers of the word doesn't James say this be doers of the word not hearers only so it's emphasized to hearken listen I'm going to teach you the truth but then you have to do it do the word for a testimony to the other nations of Canaan that there is a God that is alive now uh, another reason, uh, chapter 4 again of Deuteronomy, <clears throat> reasons for doing the word for God to be glorified. But then also there's another reason, chapter 4 verse number 1. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes, unto your judgments, the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, the next four words are, that ye may live. So the obligation of the Hebrews was to hear, learn, and do. Now, if they would do, there's a result of doing the word of God. They would live. Now, I think literally, uh, literally they would live. God would not cut them off like he did the previous generation by disobedience and unbelief. He wouldn't cut them off. So physically, I think that they may live. And then, of course, I would not be stressing to say that they would also live in other ways too. Have you heard about People who lived a long life, but they had a very unfulfilled life. Or people who have a lot of things, but they have nothing. People have everything that they could wish for. Snap the finger, they get everything they want, but they're not really living. 
they are dead while they're living, that the dead bear the dead. There's people like that who have a lot of possessions, a lot of things, and they have stature, they have prestige, they have honor, they have everything, but they're really not happy, which is kind of an odd thing. You know, Michael Jackson, that, uh, or whatever, um, he, would, he was so wealthy, he could go to a mall and uh, after hours and shop because he could do that. He could command the mall management to keep open just for him because he had the prestige and the, the name. But he wasn't a happy man, very unhappy. In the book I referred you to, they went that away. Many of those characters, 167 of them, a lot of them were well-known, famous, from all, all walks of life, military, civilian, entertainers, to everything. But many of them were not happy on the inside. They were alive, but they were not living. And so, this is also about that. This is about having a life that is called, in John 10, the abundant life. It's because we have an obligation to the Word of God, and we try to live up to that, uh, to please God, and He blesses us in return. We have a good life. On the other hand, too, you may not have a lot of things, but if you're in favor with God, you have everything. This is another thing that is um, a part of all of this, that you may live. So to sum that up, it's really saying it's to your benefit that we do the Word of God. <laughs> Whatever generation we live, it's to our benefit. Right. We are blessed if we are in a blessable position. That sounds kind of charismatic, but it's not. We, we don't want to let them steal everything that is true just because they're off. But you are in a position for God to bless you when you obey His Word and do His Word. And then He finds favor with that. And He somehow would bless you more than you think. Even above all that you ask or think. It's just, just the way that it works out. That's how God does it. So we obey His Word. We practice His Word because we benefit from it. You know that what's in it for me kind of thing? Well, that's not really selfish in a lot of ways because a man works because there's something in it for him. It's called an income. A man does a good job because there's something in it for him, which is not bad. It's called income and possible promotion or good reputation, good name. All that is, is right and good and healthy. It, it's really wrong when somebody has no pride in himself and his work and he just does whatever I don't care if people think like me. Uh, if I didn't show up on time, well, you might get fired first of all, but I just do a sloppy job. I just get by. Everybody's, sli everybody's sliding, so I can slide too. Well, that's not the way to work, and that's not the way to live. And so when a man does things right, proper, and even above the, the job description, uh, he's noticed, he gets promotion. Of course, he's proud about that, he's happy about that. So all of these things somehow connect to having a real life, an abundant life, uh, where God honors you. And what Christian does not want God to honor them? Everybody does, really. And so you would like God's favor in your life, I'm sure. And you like those nice surprises of once in a while when he blessed you with something you didn't expect. We've all gone through times of fear, times of the unknown, about uncertainty. And you count the numbers and it doesn't add up. You look at the potential, it's not there. And yet you believe God wants you to do something. And you do it by faith and all of a sudden, on the other side, God steps in and there you are. Here you are. There you go. And uh, so, but if you had if you had lived only by the fear part and not looked at the word of God through faith, and if you only acted as 
uh, the Hebrew people did here, and uh, then of course you'd miss out. But when you walk by faith and do what the Bible says, do what the Bible says. Okay, this little word here has so much power in it. Do. Alright, I'll say do it. I don't mean the basketball, Michael Jordan, do it kind of thing, but I mean not, not a campaign slogan, but do it as in do what the Bible says. When we do that, when they did that, and God protected them, God blessed them. Same thing with the New Testament Christian. So in chapter chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, look at verse, verse number 1. Here's a good outline, a simple outline. We couple that with chapter 4, we have this. Verse number 1, chapter 5, verse number 1. Moses called all Israel and said unto them, number 1, hear. Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgment which I speak in your ears today, just like in chapter 4, that ye may too learn, learn, and then uh, them, and number three, keep, and then number four, do them. That's a good outline right there. Now, if you go back to chapter four, we have similar words, teach, that you may live, hearken, teach, and then he emphasizes doing, the doing. Uh, the reason you see so many times in the Bible about not only hearing, not only learning, but also doing, is because the doing part is the important part. Um, you can know a lot, but what will you do with that wisdom or what will you do with that information that you get? Now, I, I find myself really gravitating toward the old, this old house programs. I learned so much from them because I think those guys are mature, they're experienced. Everyone, the, the general contractor, the law and care guy, the electrician, all those guys, they just, you can, you can with confidence listen to what they say. And I have tried to do some things in my limited experience with construction and other things and it's all good stuff and uh, but what good is it if I just hear about that and not do anything not put it in practice um, this last uh, experience over yesterday at, at the Hilo um, I think I did a pretty good job because I practiced some things that I knew about from some of the other people know which one I do and it would have taken a lot longer but because I took to heart some of the advice from these people and others, um, pretty good job. She was happy with it. So, okay, fine. What good is it to know what we don't do is the whole idea here. So he says, do what you learn, what you've heard. Do it, do it, do it. And once again, um, be doers of the word, not hearers only. I am afraid many times in church, people hear, they may even like what they hear, they may even enjoy what they hear. They may even say, oh, that's a, that's a piece of conviction right there, oh boy. They might even feel guilty sometimes. But what good is all of that if there's no action to respond to the word of God? So the action part is a really important part. The doing of what the Bible says is really critical. He wants them to do that when they get into the land so they don't fall prey to the idolatry. One of the real big temptations just in passing is that these young men will meet young girls. These young girls are maybe pretty. I don't know, you see a pretty face and whatever. And uh, young men, Hebrew young men might say, oh, wow, she's really cute. Did you notice that at the well? We were looking, she looked at that, looked at her, oh man, what is your name? And they get to know each other, they begin to date, all these kind of things. He says, no, you gotta watch out because you'll be tempted and pretty soon you might get into this serious thing called love and romance and then you might, um, want to have a serious relationship with him, I want to marry that girl against your father's wishes, against God's wishes. And he tells me everything about 
your obligation of not 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 getting entangled with them and uh, you get married to them you get married into their gods into their idolatry and personally be an adulterer yourself and so he says do what you know is right to avoid all of these things do the right thing even if you don't feel like you do the right thing now he also talks about cleaving to the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul and that's also about not only doing things because the right thing because you should and out of obedience doing the right thing but also done because your heart is right you love the Lord you want to do right by him too so you've got two things going on all of it is about the special relationship if you love someone you make yourself do the right thing for that person but you also do something for that person that you don't want to do because you love that person. My wife made me go to the store today to get crackers for her. Now, I hate to make these short runs, run, you know. If I go, I'm going to go, I mean, add a couple of things to this run, go here and go here. I don't just go there and come back. It's, but I did it for her today. And there's a reason why I did that for her today. <laughs> and then sometimes she used to say, uh, there's a girl, remember the old garage sales? Okay, now it's all Craigslist and um, Facebook. So everything's by appointment just about. Nothing, it's just you drive around, you see something. Now sometimes you see garage sales or neighborhood garage sales. But in the old days when everything was garage sales, she looked in the paper. Remember looking in the paper before, the one ads? Garage sales, garage sales, garage sales. Those old days? Uh, I like to go over here and uh, uh, I don't want to do that. You know what I did? Me. You know what I did? I said, okay. We don't really need that, do we? Well, such a thing. So I, I, we go, we go here, we go there, we go all over the place to get some stuff that we may not even need. Why do I do that? Well, not because she threatened me, but because uh, I supposedly love her, right? And I'm supposed to. She's my weaker vessel, and I'm supposed to. This is expected. Uh, you get married, you get entangled with the world because you care for the things of the world because of her needs, and it's not bad, you know. Really, I'm just trying to say that. If they ever got married to these girls, they'll pick up their idols too. They will do what they, they're doing, worshiping their false gods. Maybe not in a harmful way, but eventually they could. And their hearts are stolen from God to these idols. And so all of these things is about knowing the word, hearing it, learning, doing it, doing it, doing it. Do it, do it, do it, do it the Bible says. And so um, that is the, the thing that you take away from this chapter. That's the thing you take away in a survey form about responsibilities to the word and uh, if they obey it regardless of their feelings they won't repeat the mistakes of the other generation and who wants to repeat the mistakes of other people anyway right first corinthians tells us that the old testament for our admonition so we don't repeat the mistakes of the Hebrew old testament and we got the new testament we got the corinthian church we got other churches and their problems and you read about that you say oh lord help enough to happen to us and if we don't do what the Bible says, we will repeat the mistakes of the church that had problems. And that's how it all falls out. Now, look at Luke chapter 12. We'll finish up right here. Luke chapter 12. People who read the Bible just casually, they'll pick up things and then they'll criticize it because they don't see the whole picture. The whole picture is about a relationship with God. God's people are supposed to be a holy people, a peculiar people. And they were given statutes and judgments and the law. All of that seemed to be very heavy and very hard to keep. But they were a special people to God. His chosen people. They have special obligation that no other people had. Look at chapter 12 of Luke and verse number 48. 
Luke 12 and verse number 48. This verse, this verse seems to say this is what the law is about and God's relationship to his special people, the Jews. Luke 12, 48. But he that knew not and did not uh, and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beat with few stripes. Now here's the part I want you to see. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. For unto whomsoever much is given. Didn't God give a lot to Israel? Yes, he did. For unto him whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. I'll just say it like this, and there's a whole lot to the context of what you're reading, but I'll say it like this. When it comes to the Deuteronomy scriptures we've been looking at, Israel, God's chosen people, special people, special relationship. They've been given the oracles of God. And because of that, because of that special blessing, much is required of them because they now know a lot more to be accountable to. And they have to be held to account for that. So they have a bigger obligation than most people because most nations, because they have been given the word of God. The New Testament church is kind of like that, don't you think? We have been given the Bible through the scriptures, we've been given salvation, and we are privileged. We have uh, this so-called advantage. We, we know what God wants, and it is our obligation to fulfill what God wants from us. Now, God will not kill us like that. The earth is not going to open up like that because we sin. And I don't, want to, I don't want to say that like we don't care about sinning, but there is a difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. And uh, we live in a time called the Age of Grace. And we, we understand by experience and by what the Bible says that the Lord is not going to hammer you so quickly, it seems. We should be glad about that. Now, in the Old Testament, you, it seems like all of a sudden God just struck lightning and sent lightning down. Boom, you're gone. And so on. Well, there's a different way God treated people, the Hebrews and now the church. Not saying that sin is a light thing to look at. Not saying that these things are, uh, God don't think sin is a sin anymore. I, I'm not saying that at all. I don't think you believe that yourself. But the way God treats us, a little different from how he treated the Old Testament folks. So, However we, however we understand this, we have sinned so much since we've been saved, haven't we? I mean, who wants to commit, admit to that? But uh, the church, the church overall, the body of Christ, uh, individual churches, individual Christians. Boy, have we done some, in general, have we not done some things that are worthy of uh, death? And yet, you know, I mean, but you know, all of that in the context of God being who he is, God is merciful. God is merciful. And when we repent, God forgives. When Israel repented, uh, they were forgiven. There was consequences. Just like today, there's still consequences. But the severity of the consequences, it seems to be a little bit less. And I'm not saying it wrong, but I'm just saying we should be glad that God has grace and mercy. And when we sin, we quickly repent of our sin. And then God forgives. And then we have a chance to do right again. Because of a special relationship to God too. So, uh, God is jealous, God remember, but he's also merciful. Verse number 31 tells us that. And so, 
He also warned about chastisement and disobedience. So that's the little survey of chapter 4 and around there about Deuteronomy, about the reason why they have been given statutes and commandments uh, because of a special relationship to God. They are special people. Are all Jews good people? They're like American Christians. Not all of them are. Are all Jewish people uh, sinful? Yes. Do they need to be saved today? Individually? Yes. And so all these things we're going to consider. And uh, we do thank God that um, from reading the Old Testament, we understand in the New Testament it's different. And yet we're still supposed to be holy people. We're peculiar people. Same as that. We're not Jewish people. We're, we're Gentiles saved by God's grace, like a Jew is saved by God's grace. And um, we're the church, the body of Christ. At least we're a church, which is a part of the body of Christ. And we are to do what the Bible says. Whatever anybody says, we are to do what the Bible says, individually and as a church. So those are some things we draw from and apply to, to us today. And uh, Ed, Deuteronomy is a really good book to read. There's a lot of good verses in this Bible, in this book. And uh, you got to mark me know and not forget them, but we do forget them. And uh, a lot of good spiritual lessons from the Old Testament. Okay. So as a matter of fact, I'll just finish by saying this. As a matter of fact, most of your spiritual blessings, a lot of them I would say, at least maybe for, for me, it, it, it comes from reading the Old Testament because God seems to be magnified so much and he holds his people to a really high standard and he's quick to chastise well we learn something from those things we learn that oh thank God for grace but it doesn't excuse me for sinning deliberately kind of thing so it kind of makes you more separated more more conscientious of who you are and who your God is and all that. And so that's one of the good things about reading through the Old Testament. And the New Testament is also good too, of course, you know, so. Okay, all right. All right, I'm glad you came today. Let's, let's go on for, thank the Lord for uh, the book of Deuteronomy and uh, as we look through it the next two weeks, help us to uh, pick up some of the emphasis that you have uh, pointed out. And it's not possible to cover every single thing verse by verse, but at least some of these broad truths that are evident, uh, we need to be reminded about them as New Testament Christians. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. We see that in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament for sure. And thank you, Lord, that we uh, have another chance to serve you right and be faithful to you. Uh, may we hear your word, learn it, and obey it and do what it says. Not for our salvation's sake, but because we are saved and because it will honor you and please you as we walk by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.